Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. We're going to be in uh, the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 20. It's in the Old Testament. You're welcome to use your smartphone. Old Testament, it's going to be about a fifth of the way through the Bible. Got a little time to get there. I'm going to begin with a really simple story. This may not be my best introductory thought. Uh, but a couple weeks ago, had a, uh, a nail, apparently, in the tire of our car. You ever had these things happen? Flat tire things? I don't know whether it's where we live. Uh, we live fairly close to a landfill, and I wonder if it's because we drive by. It seems like every little bit, uh, you know, we'll have a flat tire. And, and so I decided a few years ago, I'm just going to fix my own. So I've got, I plug my own tire. Well, part of the process is you've got to figure out what's in the tire and all that. So I was struggling to find some, I'm down on the driveway and I'm looking at all this. Long story short, I call my wife and, and I say, Denise, will you come out here and I'm going to lay down by this thing and I've got my glasses on because I can't find anything and I'm not very, and I'm just having her, okay, now p- drive forward. <laughs> Slowly, you know, we do this little interaction as I'm, okay, now go back where we're doing this thing. And I remember my wife said, in the midst of it, I don't know if this is word for word, but it was something like, this feels a little dangerous. I don't want to run over your head. <laughs> so here's an introductory thought. <laughs> so you're like, that's lame. What does that have to do with anything? The idea is, when's, when's the last time you, you paused and thought about the value of a trusted friend. Like, I don't think I have to have a great introductory thought because I think for most of us when we pause, we know the importance of having, uh, we'll just call them a few or at least one, a great friend in your life. Someone that won't run over your head. Or that will be careful. Does that make sense? It's the kind of friend that when you have a need or someone to help, you just know that they'll show up and they'll be in your corner and they're on your side. Are you with me? It's, this is not a hard thing. It's like, yeah, it's super important. It's the kind of person that won't just pray for the challenge that you're facing. No, won't just say they'll pray for the challenge that you're facing, but they'll you just know they'll, they'll pray. I can let them, they'll pray. Or they'll authentically celebrate what's going on in your life. Or that, just that authentic, good friend. A couple Bible verses that come to mind. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Two can defend themselves. Proverbs 28, I'm sorry, 18, 24 says this. Wow. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. Friendships friendships affect our lives. 
I also thought of how grateful I am for the friendship of God, the Spirit of God. When Jesus was describing to his disciples uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit, here's part of how he described it in John chapter 14. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you. Boy, this is a, this is a great image of a phenomenal friend, right? To help you and be with you forever. Faithful friend. Now, that's the image of God. I'm so grateful that God does that. I, I would also say every once in a while it's good to have a person who acts like God in a friendship, right? They'll help you. They'll be with you long term. It's good that God does that, but it's helpful to have a person in your life. It reminded me of an old preacher story. Uh, a mom is putting her son to bed, tucking him in at night, but there's a storm going on outside, so there's lightning and thunder, and so the little boy, will say he's seven or eight years old, he says to his mom, Mom, we'll, we'll, it's kind of scary. Will you stay with me because I don't want to be alone? And the mom sees it as a teaching time, you know, let's teach my son about God. And so she, she says, well, now you know, Jeff, that, that, that you're never alone, right? God is always with you. You're never alone. God is here with you. To which the little boy says, yeah, mom, but right now I just want someone who has skin. <laughs> you ever heard that? That's an old story. Have you heard that before? I, I made that up. Origi I'm originally, I just made that up right now. No, I didn't. Anyway, though every once in a while, it's just great to have a human being person that's, that's a phenomenal friend. So hold that thought. We're in this series called Facing Your Giants, and it's a series on the life of David and the journey of David, an Old Testament, phenomenal Old Testament character. And uh, there's one thing that I feel like we need to note in this series, and that is that David, God brought David a, a great friend. And so what's going on in the text today, let's try to get up to speed, David at about 16, 15, 16, 17, 18, sometime, he got thrusted onto the big stage because he took on a warrior named Goliath. We looked at that about a month ago, and he won this really significant fight battle with Goliath. And then he starts to become famous very, very, very quickly because it was a huge victory. And so in the midst of that, all kinds of good things are happening in David's life. He's famous and all that, but there's also a, a, a negative the present king begins to get jealous of David, and he's starting to sporadically attack David, tries to kill him. So that'll be a thing to try to navigate. And in today's text, David is, has figured out for sure, like, God, the king's trying to kill me. Um, and in the midst, he's trying to navigate all that because he's seeing success and he's a warrior. And some days the king likes him, and other days the king's trying to throw a spear at him. And in the midst of that, God brings him a pretty unlikely friend because God brings him a friend named Jonathan who's actually the son of the king that's trying to kill him. And so it, he, David's in the midst of that kind of weird turmoil thing, and here's what it says in verse 1 of chapter 20. So David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan, his friend. 
and asked, what have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to kill me? Never, Jonathan replied. You are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. He has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. And Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. Now, in your Bible time, I'd encourage you to read this entire chapter. There's a whole lot in here. We'll touch on a little bit more later. But, but let me try to sum it up. David has a plan to prove to Jonathan that his dad's trying to kill him. And the basic plan is this. I'm not going to go to this required dinner party banquet, multi-day banquet thing. But Jonathan, you go. And when your dad realizes I'm not there, here's the plan, Jonathan. You tell your dad, I told David he didn't have to come. Because the assumption is Saul's going to try to kill David at this dinner party thing. So, okay, so that's the plan. Jonathan says, okay, that's the plan. Does the plan. While they're at the banquet for a couple days, eventually Saul, the king, says, where's David? And so the plan is working. And Jonathan says, I, this is paraphrased, I told him he didn't have to come. And his father, Saul, comes unglued. And ends up throwing a spear. They get in an argument, and Saul throws a spear at his own son. And so Jonathan's convinced, whoa, dad really does hate this David guy. All right? So in the midst of that, is there anything else? Okay, there's another part of the story. But by the end of the chapter, Jonathan is going to tell David, you're right. He's out to get you. And they're going to part company for a while because David needs to go into hiding. But I want to note their last moments together, because it indicates they have a friendship here that is significant. So in the end of the chapter, verse 41, it says, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before, before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. And then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Now, just a side note, this kiss each other is not any kind of a sensual thing. Is a, in this time in history, uh, men would honor each other by kissing each other on the cheek. This is not a sex thing. Some people try to argue. That's, this is, that's not what it is. And, uh, um, so they kissed, and, they, and David wept. And it says, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. The title of the talk this weekend is Unique Allies. God gives David a good friend. We're going to look at a couple characteristics of a great friend. And I think this will apply to us. Hopefully some of you can think of relationships right away. You're like, yeah, I want this to be a great friendship. Uh, others you may have to just explore, like, who in my life does it look like God has put there to be a, a close 
friend, here's some great things to uh, think about as you try to make that happen. Let's, let's uh, pause and pray. God, um, as usual, if you're not in the room, if you're not here teaching us, this will not have any value. So will you be the teacher? Speak to us as individuals about this, I pray. So that we can be great friends and maybe have even better friendships and relationships. In Jesus' name, amen. I see two characteristics. There's more than that in the chapter, but I see two things from uh, what we read so far. First thing is this. An unusually good friend is, this may not be, may not be a good word, viscerally protective. Viscerally, when I shared that earlier, people were like, what's that? Viscerally, is, it relates to inward feet. It's like your guts more than your head. So if you re-respond re viscerally, it's more of an emotional thing and not a thought-through cognitive intellectual process. So what I see in Jonathan, when David says, I'm going to die, Jonathan says, he just responds, I think, out of his soul, never. Jonathan replied, you're not going to die. He goes on to say, it isn't so. I would argue this is not because uh, Jonathan has processed the information. This is his gut response to the idea of his friend being killed. He's like, no, no. Because objectively, if the king of Israel is trying to kill an 18, 19, 17, 18, 19-year-old, he's got a whole army, all kinds of resources. <laughs> Intellectually, you'd be like, ooh, dude, that's bad. If the king's trying to kill you, yeah, you're, you're probably going to die, okay? But it's, he, it's, like, it's like Jonathan can't go there. And so here's the idea. You can write it down. The idea of David being harmed triggered a response from Jonathan's heart. It's like, no, wait, you're my friend. You're like my best friend. No, I don't like this idea of death coming to you. No. And I want to dwell here for a moment because I think there's a takeaway. Here's what I would submit to you. Every one of us should have a few friends that are deeper in our hearts than everybody else. That's the idea. I don't think this is like everyone should have 84 friends deep down in your heart. I don't think that's the way it works. I, I think that we would be right to have a friend or two or I don't know depending on our capacity. Now, a side note, you might think, well, no, we're supposed to, if you're a follower of Jesus, your hearts are supposed to be open to everybody. That's true. But I do think we're limited. God himself, right, for God so loved the world, like God's not limited at all in his capacity to have you and you and you and you and you and you, everybody in his heart fully. But I think for us, who's like a few people? No, they're rooted more deeply in their, you know, in me. Some verses that come to mind, the Apostle Paul said to a group in Philippi, he said, it's right for me to feel this way, feel this way about you since I, he says, I have you in my heart. By the way, Paul says that a few times in the Bible. And he, Paul was a world changer because he had some people that was in his heart. In, um, I was doing my Bible time on Friday. And again, Paul writes, I have said before that you have, I just like this phrase, 
I should have it highlighted. You have such a place in our hearts. It's like a, no, you got your special, right? And he goes on to say that we would live or die with you. Do you have anybody in your life that you've decided, no, that's, the, that's a friend in my life, life or death? I think there's some indication that de- Jesus had uh, people that he interacted with that were deep, I might not like it, but deeper in his emotion and heart. You may want to explore in John chapter 11, Jesus is at the graveside, or the gravesite of uh, Lazarus. And when he gets there, he says, you know, where, where's the grave? And they say, come and see, Lord. And by the way, this is the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. It's two words. But he's outside of the grave of this tragedy, and he weeps over his, I would argue, his friend. Jesus saw a lot of messed up stuff, right? Helped a lot of people, saw a lot of death, saw a lot of sickness, all those things. But I can't think of any other, oh, maybe there's one other time he wept over a city. But with Lazarus, he's like, he weeps over it. Actually, I think later in the text, some observer, observers, some, ob, some people that were there, can't say that. Some people that were there actually note about Jesus. They say, see how he, didn't they say, see how they, see how he loved him. Like they notice Jesus has got this. So, you know, the point here is, who do you have in your life? Go ahead and connect with them emotionally, a few people. I also want to kind of uh, elaborate on this point by showing what a story of the opposite of a deep connection with people. Uh, my wife and I were taking some uh, time off this last week. We were driving. My wife was doing some Bible time, and she stopped in the middle of reading, and she reminded me of the story of a guy named Jehu. Everybody say, Jehu. You may not, you may not know a lot about Jehu. He's an Old Testament character. There was a season, a little bit about him. He would be described, by me anyway, as a a warrior king, all right? And here's what's happening in the text. Uh, Jehu is aggressively correcting the spiritual condition of a country. He's like, we're going to fix. There has been generational sinful leadership, and it's steering the whole country in a mess. And, and Jehu is a soldier king, and he's killing people all over the place that are responsible. He's like, that's not happening anymore. Death to you. That's so, yeah. It's a real warm, fuzzy guy. Just a real, really, you know, just eludes it's a lot of hugging. Jehu is a hugger. No, he's not. He's, a, he's okay. So in this account, Jehu now is approaching a, a godless queen who has been in charge. She's been a horrible, sinful queen, but she's been in charge for quite some time. Her name is Jezebel. And I'm going to make this longer than it should be, but I really like the story. In 2 Kings 9, it says, Jehu went up to Jezreel, and when Jezebel, that's the evil queen, heard about it, she put on eye makeup and arranged her hair and looked out of a window. So I don't know what the, she thinks maybe if I look good, he'll, I don't know. But so she's, you can probably picture her, she's up almost in like a castle kind of a thing. 
She dolls herself up because someone says, Jehu's on the way, and she's at the window. Doing, doing something with her. She said, there. Jehu comes up. As Jehu entered the gate, she asked, Have you come in peace, you Zimri, you murderer of your master? And he looked up at the window, tried to picture this, and called out, Who is on my side? Who? And he's actually not talking to Jezebel, because there are two or three servants with her there. Side note, these guys have probably served next or with Jezebel for years, you know, because there she's the queen. And he says to them, who's on my side? This is a moment where he's basically saying, you know, whose side are you on? There's a change in leadership. Who do you, who's, who's, who's your friend? Who's your friend? Two or three eunuchs look down at him, and then here's what he says. <laughs> As they're looking out the window, he, then the next words out of Jehu is, throw her out the window. It's not that. Throw her down. Do you see what's happening? Whose side are you on? And there's three guys, I'm imagining three guys going, uh, what? Choose your side. Throw her out the window. I mean, that'd be a little intense moment. Like, uh, well, uh, uh, what? So you want to know what they did? They put it up on the screen. They threw her down. Like, you're out. She's like, I, I picture her, I picture her kicking and screaming. But they're like, no, nah, we got three of us and you're out the window. And so in the midst of this, by the way, this is a bad example of friendship. Like, you don't throw your friends. Some of you are like, why are you talking about this? You don't throw your friends out the window because it's convenient. So I picture, I actually imagine in my weird brain, them distancing themselves from her, like, who's on my side? And them like, yeah, we, we're really not that close. <laughs> <laughs> Shove her out the window. Okay. Bad example. That's the opposite of having a deeper connection with someone as a real friend. So let's finish up this first point. Think of your friends. Here's a couple of ideas just to give us traction. Choose a few forever friends. That may not be the best way to say it. But choose a few people where you're like, this is not, a, this is not just a connection for convenience. I'm gonna, this is a long-term I'm challenged by 1 Corinthians 13. It's a description of love. It's where it says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy. It's this whole, part of it says, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. There should be a few folks in our life where there's there's an always connection. As best you can discern for the rest of your life, if, if Jeff... My friend from Fort Wayne calls me, and I've known him for years. If he calls, I'm picking up. I'm going to do my best. Does that make sense? Hi, Jeff. He's probably not watching. 
choose a few forever friends. The second idea is decide to be verbally defensive. That's not a great fill in the blank either. What I mean, not defensive of yourself, but decide for those friends that you're not going to attack them. Maybe ever. If they make a mistake, they, they fall into sin, and everybody else, you know, starts to put them up in the, 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 on the gossip, the gossip stage, or did you hear what so-and-so? You just decide, I'm not going there. They may just defend them right away, say, I don't think you should talk about my friend that way. And instead of participating in what the world is doing so much, it's like we're, we're sharks in the bloody water. So if someone falls, then we're like, everybody, yeah, oh, yeah. Just be like, uh-uh, I'm not, not going to do it. Instead, how about be the kind of friend who maybe calls the person and says, hey, hey, buddy, I heard maybe there's a mess. How can I help? Because you're my friend. Aren't you glad God does not dismiss you because you made a mistake yesterday? God doesn't jump on the, the let's chew somebody up and spit them out wagon. If so, we would all just be chewed up, right? Be more like Christ. When I was talking to this to a, uh, a friend of mine, he used the word grace. How about some grace? So that first idea is viscerally protective. The second idea is uh, an unusually good friend is recklessly servant-hearted. Servant-hearted. Hang in there for one more point. I'll begin with a dad story. I realized when I was 13, 14, 15 years old, that whenever I would help my father move something, like furniture, you know, that's just part of life every once in a while, like, hey, let's help him move this table. I realized it. Whenever I helped my dad move something, I always ended up being the one to walk backward. <laughs> it was a thing. I realized. I still remember the day, you know, I started to go, why the heck am I always going backwards? And so I asked him, I said, to, to my dad, I said, what's cool? How come I'm always the one to walk backwards? And he, and he, didn't, even, he didn't say anything. He just smiled. <laughs> and I realized my dad, this is my interpretation, he'd been, he'd been playing a trick on me my whole life. It was just part of his plan. I'm going to do one thing to make his life horrible. Whenever we move anything, I'm, he would just, he would just, just move. So it was a joke for us for a while after that. And, uh, but I also remember when I was probably in my 20s and I came to Christ and, and uh, I remember, not clear, super clearly, but I remember moments where, where we would start to move something and, and I would realize, okay, I'm going to be going backwards. And I just decided I'm just going to go backwards for the rest of my life with my dad. It was a thing that I did because, and I just thought, if that's the way you want to walk, that's the way we're going to walk. Now, I, I share that to say I think there's something in that for good friends. There is this thing, now pay attention, there's this thing where you don't fight over the plans. You just say, which, which way you want? Okay, great. I'll walk the way you want to walk. In verse 4, when Jonathan is dialoguing with David. Jonathan says to his friend David, whatever you want me to do, look at that. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. That's a pretty broad statement. What's the plan, David? Uh, whatever you want to, however you want this to work. What was that sound? 
Was there a sound come through? Did I just fart? I didn't think I farted, but did you hear that sound? Did you guys hear the fart sound? Hey, Grape Road, we're having a fart party here. Was that a sound like a... Is it just me? Someone communicate. Did you guys hear something? It was not me. I have never farted in my life. Please edit that out. All right. Where am I? I'm distracted. Oh, so Jonathan says to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. I'm sorry, you can't control it. That was too goofy, wasn't it? If you want it, please take some time this week. And also, I think David also had that same kind of a connection with Jonathan. But that what, how, he went with Jonathan's plan. Now, I'm going to try to get through this quickly. But if you take time to read verses 19 through 22 of this chapter, again, a reminder, Jonathan's going to go figure out whether his dad is out to kill David or not. And so then Jonathan comes up with this communication plan to tell David whether he should be scared or whether he's safe. Now look at Jonathan's plan. This is, this is the plan. We'll put it up on the screen. I'm probably going to enjoy this more than you. But here's what Jonathan says. Okay, David, so here's the plan. The day after tomorrow, after I go and find out whether my dad's trying to kill you, the day after tomorrow, toward the evening, go to the place where you hid when this trouble began and wait by the stone easel. And I will shoot arrows to the, I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. This is the plan. This is so that you can know what's going on. Then I'll send a boy to say, boy and say, go find the arrows. And if I say to him, listen, David, if I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side of you. Bring them here. Then come to David because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe. So do you see so he basically has this plan. So there's arrows, and I'm going to shoot three of them. And if, they, if I say to the boy, the arrows are on this side, that's code. That's code, David, for there's nothing to fear, and you can come. But if I shoot the arrows, and then I say, no, 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 they're farther away, run. You should run. Here is the big plan, the elaborate plan to communicate to David what is going on. It's a great. Here's what I noticed. And David, in, in the midst of it, he, because here's what I notice about David. David doesn't say, how about we just meet by the rock later? Because if you read the rest of the chapter, we already read it. After the whole arrow, elaborate plan thing, then Jonathan sends the kid away, and guess what they do? They walk out to the rock, and they talk. And that's when David says, Gives them hugs. And so, you guys didn't get, you didn't think that it's half as fun as I thought. That was super. So, but here's what I want to emphasize with, Dave, with David, and there's application to us. It's just sometimes a friend, even though your other friend's plan is less than perfect in our opinion, a friend just says, okay, that's the plan. Does that make sense? You can write this in. Even though Jonathan's plan wasn't perfect, his friend David went with it.
<clears throat> and I think for a few folks, there's a nugget in here. I know in my life, for me to be a better friend, I need to quit being so critical of ideas of, hey, well, let's go to a restaurant. And they say, well, yeah, we'll go to whatever. And then I'm like, mm, well, let's think about that. You know, the salsa. The other day, now how far is that? Road construction. How about you and I be a friend? If you want to be a great, some of you, this is gold. Some of us, this is gold. You want to be a fanatic. Some of you have no friends, and it's because you criticize. It's because every time someone tries to be your friend and they say, let's get ice cream, you slice and dice their ideas so much that they go, you're wearing me out. No friendship. You're done. Uh, see, I could dwell on this for a little bit. This, uh, this messes up relationships, my friends. It does. Marriages. Friendships. So here's the last thought. How critical am I with my friends? To use a word I used in a few minutes back, how about a little more grace? Aren't you glad? Let's go vertical a little bit. Aren't you glad God puts up with your stupid plans? You have not had a, can I just tell you, just to say, you've not had a perfect plan. I've not had a perfect plan my entire life. And yet God still looks down in his grace and he says, <laughs> I think he, I don't know if he chuckles. Does God chuckle? Maybe he does. I think when he looks at a lot of us, he goes, <laughs> okay, well, I'll come alongside you. Even though we could just talk by the rock, but no, we'll do the whole shoot the arrow thing. <laughs> All right, let's stand. We'll close. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray that you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.